and welcome to PCTY Talks. I'm your host, Sherry Simpson. During our time together, we'll stay close to the news and info you need to succeed as an HR pro. And together, we'll explore topics around HR thought leadership, compliance, and real life HR situations we face every day. So joining me today on the podcast is Lewis Lessig. So excited to have him in the virtual studio. I had a really great opportunity to chat with him at SHRM 2021. Um, so thanks for joining us today, Lewis. Thanks, Sherry. I am thrilled to be here with you and everybody here on the podcast. Awesome. Um, for those listening, obviously my voice sounds a little off today. I am battling a cold, but the show must go on. So uh, Lewis is going to bear with me as I get through these questions. But let's start, Lewis, by hearing a little bit about your background and how you got into employment law. Sure. So it's interesting. My undergrad is actually in HR. And uh, I was working at a uh, non-union hospital and talking with the HR generalist who turned to me and said, do you want to do benefits your whole life? Now, no dig to anybody that currently does benefits, but I turned to him and said, I totally don't want to do that. And he said, well, then you know what you do? Go to law school. Trust me, it'll be a good move. And honestly, that's the best advice I ever got. Uh, and sort of the rest is history. That's amazing. I have a similar story in that somebody pointed me into HR manager and it was not a career I would have picked. So, so cool that somebody saw that in you and, and helped give you that direction. You never know who's going to be able to touch you along the way. It, it's sort of like the way we met. And I, I think that that's one of the great things about this space and the opportunity to just meet new people. Absolutely. So our our topic today is kind of like a hodgepodge of questions related to employment law. So um, if you're listening and you're like, this is all over the board today, it's going to be. We're going to try to hit on a lot of topics. So I'll start first with this. Um, time and attendance, as well as performance reviews and metrics in a hybrid world. Um, so in other words, how do we define ROI as to not discriminate against someone when we're dealing with all of these different variances that we haven't seen before. You know, it's interesting, Sherry. I think the biggest challenge that we've all got is to try and figure out how we're going to do this across the board. And what I mean by that is this, you know, the challenge is always that the law is always trying to catch up with whatever's going on. So the pandemic forced us to accelerate some of that, but really didn't change everything that we would like. The difference, and you know, it's interesting, I, I gave a, um, a virtual presentation yesterday for some training, and I asked folks, you know, if you have an issue that comes up on a social media platform, is it any different in the way you assess it versus if you were in the office with someone? And it's amazing to me that about at least half the people in any session I do where I ask that question, they come back and say, well, of course it's different because it's virtual. And, you know, I have to stop them and say, no, wait, listen to what you're saying. The only difference is where you're having the conversation, not the conversation that you're having. And so when we talk about time and attendance, so much of this is going to be dependent on a particular employer and how they define the various time and attendance issues that they have. So for example, is it, are you logging into a computer or are you swiping in to go into a room or is it per widget, if you will. Uh, however you're doing that, the, the key is really to make sure that each person is being evaluated the same because we all know what happens, right? You end up having a situation where somebody is literally, you know, their feet up if you were to see them on a video and they're, they're like, you know, 
having a cup of coffee, watching, I don't know, days of our lives or something instead of actually doing their work. And then there's somebody else somewhere sitting in a corner over a computer with 50 million other things going on, absolutely driving themselves nuts, trying to get the work done. And so the, the challenge is really, it's not so much big brother, but it's a function of saying, all right, look, what are we checking keystrokes? Are we checking the anticipated time it's going to take to do X, Y, or Z task? Or are we trying to take a look at something else? And I think one of the challenges, particularly in time and attendance for managers, is to make sure they're trained in understanding what the flex is in that. So for example, if you have someone that has, maybe they're homeschooling their kids. Well, what they can do in a 60 minute time period may be different than what someone who is single in Hawaii can do, for, for example. And so there's gotta be some understanding there and it's gonna take, I think, a bit more uh, intentional actions on the part of managers in order to make this stuff work. I think managers are definitely gonna move towards a more one size fits one instead of one size fits all as we move forward in a lot of the things we're going to talk about today. I, I think that's totally true. And that's, I think, the real challenge as people move into management. And it's going to be this idea of how do we better facilitate that understanding? It's not so much black and white. We're basically, if we didn't know it pre-pandemic, we certainly know it now. When it comes to the workplace, we're just going to live in the gray and that's just got to be okay. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, one of the things we've talked about a lot before and, and we're dealing with, you know, also in the HR space is mental health, right? It's going to be at the crisis level for honestly the foreseeable future. You know, how are um, employers going to deal with it? And as I think about that, you know, my question to you is how do they tackle this? You know, especially because there's there's lag time for services. You know, we're seeing a lot of startups come up in this space and offering different options for employers. And, you know, I'm hearing employers talk about, you know, do we need to have, you know, mental health experts on staff, you know, where maybe we weren't talking about that before. How do you see that evolving for the employer? Well, I think we need to start from the understanding that we have a mental health crisis, and I'm not talking about the employees that need help. I'm talking about the number of potential providers. We just don't have enough. Uh, in the United States. We didn't before. But as we look prospectively, I think your more pragmatic employers may identify employees that are interested in this space, and they may actually send them to school to get the kind of training they need if they want to have somebody in-house. Uh, I, I just, I think that whether we're talking about a hotline or we're talking about intensive supervisor training, not to treat mental health, but to recognize some of the signs, I think is going to be critically important. Yeah, you can have the benefit plans, you can have the employee assistance programs and those kinds of things. But I think in the short term, say three to five years, we are not going to get enough mental health professionals through whether we're talking um, medical school or psychology, however we're looking at it, in order to ramp up. And so some of this, it, it may even be the situation, depending on where your organization is located, that you may try and do it virtual. Uh, in terms of some kind of a small group, whether it be on, on Zoom or WebEx or what, whatever the platform may be. But there's no question, this is an issue that employers are going to need to address, but they're going to need to be more malleable in how they address it. And some of this too is going to be 
this understanding, and I think some of it is gender related and some of it is age related relative to a comfort level in having these discussions in the first place, let alone, do we have the right number of providers available to help our employees? Yeah, absolutely. I, I saw a funny meme the other day that it was about, you know, mental health. And it was like the employee being like, I need mental health support. I need mental health support. I need mental health support. And the response from HR in this meme was like, here's a webinar. Like, that's not the only solution, right? Like, we got to think outside the box. We got to be flexible. We have to approach this differently. You know, you mentioned EAPs, which they are a great resource, but they are not the be-all, end-all right now. We need more. We need to be more cognizant of things. Um, you know, and if you're like, I don't even know where to start, start with training. You know, you mentioned your managers. Start very simply helping them understand things that they can look at and things that they can ask their employees just to check in how they're doing. And, you know, as a follow-up to that, Sherry, I think one of the real issues that supervisors have to appreciate, there was a recent case that I, I was talking about on the stage where you had a supervisor that was talking with a subordinate about another employee who was out on FMLA mental leave. And in this whole conversation, the supervisor, who is completely myopic in their view, in essence, is telling the subordinate how ridiculous this employee who's out on leave is because they can't mentally hack it. Now, before everybody's jaw hits the floor as they listen to this recording later, the best part about this is the subordinate who turns to the supervisor and says, I'm about to put in my FMLA papers for the exact same reason before I file my lawsuit against you. So, you know, to your point, it's so critically important that we really take the time to enhance the compassion of our supervisors to appreciate you don't necessarily know you know one of the things i've used recently is a picture of a a plethora of employees and ask several questions about can you tell me who is blind or who is deaf or who is bipolar and it accentuates the fact that we sometimes spend too much or put too much emphasis on what we can see versus what we know and that's a skill we can teach our managers independent of whether or not they're truly mental health savvy, for lack of a better phrase. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, to switch topics a little bit here, you know, as we have gone through this pandemic, we're seeing things like the courts being backlogged for some time with lots of different cases, you know, related to COVID or religious accommodations or, you know, just kind of our everyday that we deal with things that come up in the HR space related to employment law. You know, how do you see that? And, and should it be something that we push for potentially alternative dispute resolutions or take other steps to resolve, you know, some of our more thorny employee issues? You know, it's funny because over the years as employers, we've always advised um, clients to say, listen, spend more time taking a look at ADR as an alternative dispute resolution as an option. And let's put it in context. I mean, even for some of my larger clients or from, for some of the insurance carriers I do some work for, their position is kind of simple. Why settle? Because the courts aren't doing anything. I mean, I, it's, it's ironic. So about two months ago, one of my partners was just sworn in as a federal district judge. And we all went down. It was a small ceremony because of the pandemic. But we had an opportunity to talk with some of the other federal judges, and they told us, you know, we're so backlogged, we don't know if we'll ever dig out. Now, that tells me a couple of things. Number one, if I'm an employer and I want to drag it out, 
God bless, let's do it. But if we're trying to solve problems and make business decisions, it does beg an interesting question, which is, listen, there's a benefit to mediation and arbitration if it's thoughtful and pragmatic. And if we can find a way to get an employee to divorce themselves from the passion or the anger of whatever the issue is and understand some practical things that you and I and everybody listening today already know, which is there's a time value of money. And at the end of the day, there's a reason why we want to move on from certain things. And I think because of that, we're going to see your more developed mediators and arbitrators and retired judges really being able to step up and fill a void. And I think organizations are going to have to decide which way do they want to go when they're looking at the respective budgets as it relates to these issues, whether they're thorny or whether they're really simple, just to keep the ball rolling. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, one of the things that that we've thought a lot about is this digital world that we're in and how it just it's changed so much and it's put so much more responsibility on supervisors and managers than before. You know, one of the things that comes up is is we've been training on DEI issues, right? And that's been a topic that's always been important but has been highlighted more and more in the last 18 months. You know, how do we help them understand how to address discrimination and harassment concerns in a digital world in ways that they haven't before? You know, I think a lot of the ability to address the digital component of everything we're doing in the workplace right now is a function of stepping back with our managers and our supervisors and our investigators and saying, listen, we need to get across this notion. I, and I mentioned it a little bit earlier. The difference between being in person and being behind a screen or a camera or a microphone is not as palpable as everyone thinks. It may be more difficult to find information, but the same way you can be vindictive in person, you can be vindictive online. And the difference is once you hit send or post it, as you know, it never goes away right? I mean, all the prior podcasts that you've done here, they will live on in infamy long after you and I are gone. However, I think there's a way that we can better address this by really stepping back and saying, listen, the very same laws that protect folks from harassment and discrimination, no matter where you are on the planet, are the same laws that are going to protect individuals from discrimination, whether it's done in a cyber world or in the real world, whether you're making an avatar, however it is that you're rolling along. And some of this is more about having people understand some of the basics. So for example, you might have somebody that says, well, listen, I get it. I'm just not going to tweet about any issue that might exist. And I'm going to be perfectly fine. You know what? There's this new app. I've decided it's going to be wonderful. I'm doing it. Nothing's ever going to happen. It's called Clubhouse. And inevitably, I stop and turn to people and say, listen, that's a great idea. It's all audio on Clubhouse. Only one problem. You know the same phone that you use or system that you use to get onto Clubhouse? You realize that it's a microphone, right? So you can still record it, which means it can still be used against you later. And so it, some of this is more about the nuanced fun or naivete, if you will, of whatever the new platform is versus, hey, what we can do. Have you seen... Um, cases start to come up that are specific to harassment in the digital space. Has that hit any any cases yet? 
actually, I, ironically, I just got a client out of a case and it, very apropos, okay? Racial discrimination case, multiple defendants. I represented one of the defendants. The argument that I made was there was no basis to keep us in, let us out. The co-defendant made the same argument. Their lead person for the other defendant had a personal Twitter account where he apparently had made, now on his own time, not company time, but <laughs> racially insensitive tweets over a multiple month period that the plaintiff's attorney found. The plaintiff's attorney used that in the motion practice to say, hey, this individual clearly has a bent. They're the ones driving what the other co-defendant did. You can't let him out of the case, judge. You want to let Lewis and his client out, fine, but I've got the evidence from the social media that they're not as good of an actor as they claim. And you know what? We got out and they're still in. And I think there's more and more of this stuff out there uh, that we have not seen yet, but it's definitely coming. And I, you know, it's interesting, Sherry, used to be people would think to themselves, and there was recently a U.S. Supreme Court case where a, um, a high school student wasn't allowed to go to the prom because of what they complained about on Snapchat. And I guess they were thinking, well, it goes away after 24 hours, so who cares? Except they forgot someone can screenshot it, which is what happened. And it, the, the case went all the way to the Supreme Court. The facts are not necessarily relevant, but what is relevant is, to your point, these kinds of things on all these different apps, independent of whether they go away or not, you can save them, they can be used, and people just need to be thoughtful about it as they go through their day in the workplace. I think about that a lot when I think about my own teenage years. Um, and that stuff didn't exist when I was a teenager, you know, so it's it's definitely a, it's a different world. You know, you have to think about different things. You know, I recently, I read an article this morning um, from a newsletter I subscribe to called HR Brew. And they had an interesting article there about the increased use of alcohol, cannabis, um, you know, other substances as people have been coping during the pandemic or, or not coping, depending upon your view, obviously. Um, mm -hmm. You know, recognizing these issues can be increasingly difficult in this hybrid world. You know, how are you, you know, encouraging employers or helping employers understand, you know, where you can step in and provide help and support um, you know, because some of the, um, some of the things we would go to that we would be able to see in person, we might not be able to see digitally anymore. Well, you know, it's funny. So much of this is having folks not multitask. So if you're going to call or you're going to do a video call, or you're going to meet someone out for coffee with a mask or however you're going to do it as a manager. You need to be vigilant and you need to be present. There was a keynote that I had done uh, not long ago. And one of the things that I impressed upon folks to do is be patient and be thoughtful and engaging. And I guess the question that I would ask all of our listeners is something that I am guilty of myself. I'm sure you're not, Sherry, but here's the scenario, right? Somebody comes into my office. I'm looking at both of my screens. I'm doing my work. I don't look away from the screens. I, and I just say to them, hey, what do you need? I'm basically telling them that they're not that important, right? Whatever I'm doing is I'll try to answer your question, but I can multitask like the best of them and you don't need to do anything. Well, the problem is we're sending a message there 
that's not the right message. And really what we need to do as managers and as human beings engaged in the workplace, virtual or otherwise, is what I call, I use the acronym LISA. We need to be able to listen, actively listen to what someone is saying, to their tone, to their word choices. You know, if we ask them, hey, how's your day? And they say, great, that's one thing. But if they lower the tone of their voice and they explain things in a certain way, there's got to be some follow-up, right? So we need to both listen and then we need to internalize what it is that they're saying to try and appreciate where it is. And then in our own minds, strategize, okay, what else, where are they going? What do they need? And then take the action of that follow-up, right? So we can't just say, hey, I need to talk to five of my subordinates in the next 45 minutes. Let's see how fast I can get through it. I really think it's going to be incumbent upon managers to take the time to really engage folks. And, and that's so much of what we haven't necessarily been doing. I mean, that, that was the advantage, right? When everybody's locked down, we we're just like, hey, this is a free for all. But I think what we find is that now we just have to be more thoughtful and more intentional in the very things that we do together. Uh, you know, it was, it's interesting. If you think back to when President Lincoln was in office, I know neither one of us was around, maybe somebody else on the podcast was, but at that time, attorneys were paid by the word and the English language was really an art. And I think to a degree, we're returning to that, even though we're now in the digital space to say, if we listen hard enough, we can hear the issues that folks have and I think today it's incumbent upon us to do just that. Absolutely. One of the things I've started to do is, you know, we get pinged from all sides of the HR space, right? Depending upon what tools you have available to you, you know, you might have Slack and Teams and your, your HCM might have a, a chat feature. You have your email and you have LinkedIn messages and you're just inundated all day with stuff. And I've really started to think about being more intentional when I need to have those conversations and when things come in, maybe not responding immediately or responding and saying, hey, you know what? I really want to give you my attention. Can we talk in 20 minutes? I have an open slot. I can give you 30 minutes of my time. That has made a huge difference in those conversations and just expressing that I actually care about what they have to say. So if you're listening and that's something that you can try, I definitely recommend it. You know, switching gears a little bit again, you know, when I think about all the work that's happened with ADA over the last 18 months, you know, the, the hard lines that we used to think about in ADA are completely gone, you know, so how do we train and address, you know, ADA issues of the future, maybe things we haven't even started to see yet? Well, I think at this point that folks in my space and your space have to love the ADA. Because at this point, it, it's interesting. I, I recently put something out on LinkedIn and asked folks, as I start planning for 22, uh, what are the topics that you're concerned about that I can address for folks from the stage? And this was one of those areas that, that individuals have come back with. And I think the real challenge is going to be an understanding, right? Because there are certain things under the ADA that we know are covered, things like epilepsy and cancer that are just clear. The challenge is when we go through all the different things, I mean, listen, if you were to sit in a meeting with your colleagues and say, who's stressed, you know, everybody's going to raise their hand, which means, okay, everybody's protected by the ADA. Isn't that great? And 
on the one hand, it's great. On the other hand, if you're the manager, you're probably like, oh my God, I'm going to be dead before the end of the day. I cannot deal with this. So I, I think we need to be much more thoughtful, particularly when it comes to the ADA, because inevitably, I think what we've seen in the cases, as well as in our own workplace lives, is that there's so much more going on now. And the desire of a reasonable accommodation is different today than it was pre-pandemic. It might just be, look, I just need five minutes, right? I mean, my nine-year-old, God bless him, he will turn to me and say, dad, I need a minute. And sometimes your folks just need a minute. And then there are other times where it's much more flexible. I also think that one other way we can address this, and I'm sure people on this podcast will cringe at me saying this, job descriptions are so critically important, particularly in this area. Because if we can't lay out for folks what is really important in their particular job, there's no way that they can figure out how to flex you know, the, the square peg in the round hole, and we can get there. Right, because what's going to happen? You know that lawsuit's going to come down, and the judge is going to look to employers and say, "What did you do, employer?" What you want to end up being to make it very simplistic. There was this case out there where an employee walks away, and the HR person literally follows them out of the building, trying to get them to engage in the interactive process, and they refuse. They send a letter. They make a phone call. And of course, ultimately, the employee files a lawsuit saying you didn't engage in the interactive process. And the court turns around and says, listen, this has got to be a two-way street. You, if Employee, if you're not going to engage, we're not going to hold the employer up in what they can do. And so in so many regards, I think the real piece that we're going to find as we evolve over the next couple of years is that HR, I mean, we joke about it, right? We go to these conferences, there's the, the shirt that says everything that HR does, and one of them is a shrink. And I, I mean, I'm convinced that what we should do, Shari, at the next conference, we should just have like a, a Paylocity couch, right? Like just come and just put your feet up and, and this would be the, like the greatest thing for everybody. And then you could just like deliver for your clients like an orange couch, right? Right. Be like that's almost how I feel we're going to find the best way to move forward. And inevitably it's going to be stuff that you and I can't even think of right now. That's going to be the biggest deal. And I think the hard part is it may annoy people that are set in their ways and want work done in a particular way. And I think what we've found is particularly during the pandemic, it has shown us and proven to us that there are multiple ways to have something achieved. Unless you're on some kind of a production line, it's really hard to argue in many respects that you have to be in one particular location. There are absolutely benefits, but we got to sort of carefully step going forward. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're listening and you know, you're in, in the weeds with ADA and you need some resources, if you don't know about Jan, the Job Accommodation Network, I definitely encourage you to, to check it out. It's a website. It's an invaluable tool in helping to come up with accommodations if you don't even know where to start in that conversation. So I um, highly recommend that. Do you have any other resources you'd recommend? 
You know, I think that there, the, some of the great places to look, oftentimes the EEOC has some really good information. Sometimes the Department of Labor or the local Department of Labor, uh, there are, depending on the type of issue. So for example, let's say it's someone who is blind or someone who is deaf, the associations for those respected people really have a level of expertise that as a practical matter, you and I don't have. And, you know, I always ask people, for example, have you ever dealt with an employee who's blind? And most people say no. Well, I had the good fortune when I was a law clerk, we won't say when, uh, that the judge in the next chambers had hired a law clerk my year who was blind. And he had a reader with him. And that year with him was such an interesting education for me in terms of what that truly means in the workplace and how you do your jobs. And I, I can't agree with you enough, Sherry, that what we need to be able to do is step back and say, okay, what is the issue? And then where can I think outside the box or even in a box I am not familiar with in order to figure out the solution? And I, you know, I also think that, let's be honest, right? We do stuff like this to provide information for no other reason other than to help because somebody else has to be having the same challenge that we have. So let's see how it's, we're almost like you're, you're providing a platform to help us crowdsource answers. Absolutely. Um, so I'll, I'll end with this last question. Then, then I'll have you tell our listeners how they can get in touch with you if they want to. Um, I recently watched a limited series on Netflix called made or the made. Um, and it was a story around domestic violence and this, this young woman. And, um, it was, it was heartbreaking, you know, but it was, um, it really centered around um, emotional abuse and not physical abuse. And it made me really kind of wonder as in, as employers, how can we be more proactive in supporting employees who are experiencing domestic violence? And I'm curious your perspective on that and, and what you've seen and, and what advice you have for employers in that space. There are a few things that are as disconcerting as domestic violence. Uh, and depending on the space that folks are in, and I'm not even sure that, that you're necessarily aware of it, but uh, workplace violence and domestic violence oftentimes go hand in hand. Statistically, it is a much higher problem in the government sector as opposed to in the private sector, which I always think is interesting. Uh, and I think always makes people uncomfortable when I'm teaching folks in the government sector to say, I'm really sorry, but you're three times more likely to be the, you know, the, the subject of violence. Um, when it comes to domestic issues though, I think the, what I have seen a lot of is in essence, encouraging to the nth degree fellow employees to come forward to share their concerns about what's happening, right? The same way that you would say, oh, well, once a manager knows that there's some discrimination going on, then the employer knows. Well, in the same way that we're trying to encourage employees to come forward in that regard, in the domestic space, it's the same thing. Here in New Jersey, we have additional leave for domestic abuse and those kinds of issues. I think what you find is most employers, at least the ones that I've dealt with, have been very understanding and supportive. That may even come down to locking the front doors because there's a restraining order. 
but I think that in many respects, what needs to happen is that it can't be taboo. That's, I think, been the biggest thing when we talk about mental health, that up until the pandemic, it w- no one talked about it. It was just brushed under the rug. And domestic violence until recently has been similarly brushed under the rug. It's my hope that we're that that's more in the rearview mirror now. But so often we're only going to find out about it after there's some physical evidence or if one of their friends that finds out comes forward. And so I think the biggest thing we can do is appreciate and let folks know that there is a safe space so that we can help support those employees. Because Lord knows, given the tsunami of people leaving the workplace, it is better for an employer to support a person who's going through that long-term than it is to just let them go away. Absolutely. Um, so Lewis, if they want to get in touch with you or your organization, how do they do that? Well, there, there are a couple of different ways, actually, Sherry. Of course, you can always send me an email at uh, lessig at brownconnery.com or give me a call at 856-854-8900 or they can check me out on LinkedIn, Lewis Lessig, uh, or on Twitter at the same thing. Um, and if they want to check out the, the web, they can go to brownconnery.com or to lewislessig.com. I love it. Thank you so much for your time. This was a great discussion and uh, hopefully we'll have you back next year as we go through, you know, more employment law changes. I would love that. It is wonderful to see you and to talk with everybody on the podcast. And I hope that everybody got something out of this. This podcast is brought to you by Paylocity, a leading HCM provider that frees you from the tasks of today so you can focus more on the promise of tomorrow. If you'd like to submit a topic or appear as a guest on a future episode, email us at pctytalks at paylocity.com.